Welcome to Modern Aikidoist Podcast. Please help by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast if you're watching this on YouTube or BitChute. These are all free and help out a great deal. Word of mouth is how shows like this reach more people who are interested. Another way you can support this podcast is by way of a PayPal tip jar. You can leave a donation of any amount you like or set up a monthly donation just like Patreon or Subscribestar, only I don't make you pay for my content. I only invite you to contribute. There's a link in the description. I sincerely appreciate your interest and support. Many martial artists are interested in getting more from their training, and we should always be pursuing moving beyond our current limitations. Should the day come when we call upon our martial arts training to defend ourselves, we don't want to be constrained by training which is lazy or didn't push us to expand our skills. We need to be ready for whatever comes at us. It may very well be that we are dealing with an extremely high-intensity attack, which is far beyond what we normally experience in the dojo. It may seem at first appearance that to train for such a situation, we need merely to ramp up and train at the highest intensity possible at all times. But this is not the case. That may seem counterintuitive, so let's dig deeper into it. What methods should we use to train effectively for high-intensity situations? How can we keep our training from becoming lazy? What I'm going to offer is my perspective on it which I arrived at not only from personal experience, but from listening to others who are far wiser and more experienced than I am. We can learn a great deal by studying the methods of other martial arts and sports and learning how they do it. Training methods have evolved a great deal over time. Not only have some remarkable training innovations been developed, but successful methods used ages ago have been lost over time. Some of these have been rediscovered. The belief that training must always be in that high-intensity zone is one which most often is held by new people who are not yet experienced with martial arts training. There is a place for high-intensity training, but that's not the normal mode. This type of training must be used sparingly, as it tends to exhaust practitioners and can result in injuries. You don't learn much when you're not practicing because you skip training as you're healing up. If you do high-intensity training, do it at the end of a class or session. Once you are exhausted, you will learn very little. We are now into the topic of training methodology. One might think that to become good at an activity, one must merely do that activity a lot. The more you do something, the better you get, right? That is true, but training plays a crucial role in improving your performance. There are things that you can learn in training that you will likely never discover just doing the activity itself. Take a basketball player who did nothing but play ball at the neighborhood park. He might be athletically gifted and pretty good at the game. Contrast this with a player the same age who played on a basketball team which had good coaching. This player would have gotten training which focused on improving dribbling, ball handling, passing, shooting, and teamwork, which the previous player did not. This training on the fundamentals of basketball makes a significant difference in the quality of the player. It's not just how much sweat the player generates or how hard he works. It's the strength of the fundamentals he has trained and burned into his brain and body. Both players will sweat and work for sure, but one will be fundamentally solid and the other one will rely on his athletic talent alone. If a player is going to succeed in the long run and become a professional player, solid fundamentals will not be a luxury, they will be necessary. Should you face a live attacker or attackers, would you rather be an amateur relying on your athletics or a pro with solid fundamentals? It may be your life on the line. If anything, a great deal of Aikido training tends to be imbalanced towards training slowly at low intensity levels. 
Many practitioners have never experienced high-intensity training or pressure testing and cannot envision what those look like. There's a great deal of confusion about what they are and how to do them, and even some argue that they cannot be done at all. We often hear the arguments against them, such as, you will kill someone if you go full speed, which just isn't true. Granted, full-speed, high-intensity practice is more likely to produce injuries than doing slow-speed practice. Each has their place within training, and our goal is to learn to become comfortable with facing a live attacker at full strength without sustaining injuries. The reality is that martial arts training will likely include practitioners getting banged up. You cannot train in earnest and expect to never experience discomfort, pain, or at least mild injuries. These are going to happen. We need to avoid significant injuries, and our training must be smart to make injuries as infrequent as possible. The key to success in building the skills needed to handle full intensity is to exercise incremental increases in intensity. You don't train at 10 to 20% intensity level and then suddenly jump up to 100%. It's always good to start learning a technique at a low intensity level. Study the form and practice at a level you can work out the kinks. Make the movement smooth. As you work, increase the speed, still working on good movement and smooth execution. Usually this will come along fairly quickly, even within one training session. The technique becomes more comfortable as you train it. It should start feeling as though your body does it without you thinking about it. The minute you start feeling comfortable with it, increase the speed and intensity a bit more. Make sure you can keep the correct form as you go faster and harder. If your form starts to break down, Slow down slightly with your practice so you're not getting out of control. A good uke is crucial to this kind of practice, and they must be able to go at the level of speed and intensity that you need to build those skills. A good uke won't let you get lazy and rest in your comfort zone. They will push you a little beyond it without overwhelming you. What I've described here is a fundamental method of improving single techniques through paired kata practice. It works best for intermediate and advanced students, with each being able to move up the intensity at their own rate. Advanced students will probably be able to start at a medium intensity level and work up to a high intensity levels very quickly. Beginning students can do this too, but it usually takes a bit longer because they are still building familiarity with the fundamental movements. That is natural for their experience level, which is totally fine. The form and control is far more important than the intensity. If you can't do it slow, you can't do it fast. Going too fast in training, beyond your ability level, is a recipe for learning and reinforcing bad form. Speed doesn't make technique go better, it only makes it worse. The goal of our training is to build form, from slow at first to faster and faster as good movements become deeply ingrained. What I said a moment ago, if you can't do it slow, you can't do it fast, doesn't work in the opposite direction. Just because you can do it slow doesn't mean you can do it fast. You have to practice applying your technique at every speed. Just do the slow first, then the medium speed, then the fast. Only when you are comfortable performing at every speed and intensity can you be confident in your skills. A major aspect which is overlooked with the paired kata format, which most Aikido uses, is the comfort level of identifying particular attacks and responding with the appropriate technique. It's easy to deal with an attack when you know exactly what it is and where it's coming from ahead of time. It's much more difficult when you have no idea what's about to come. In a real situation, you must be comfortable dealing with whatever attack comes at you. You won't have the luxury of knowing what it is ahead of time. This skill is built with Giyawaza training, 
and follows the same progression method used for building speed and intensity. I have found the most success with moving up incrementally and dealing with the unknown. There are two approaches I use as a first step to building comfort with this. The first is to address recognition of the particular attack itself. I'll use an example of something that I put on the first belt test, or the Roku test. That is, Nage offers a wrist, but Uke gets to decide whether it's a same side grab or a crosshand grab. This means Nage must decide which technique he's going to use based on the particular grab. Of course, I teach each of these techniques separately using the paired kata method that we're all used to. What this exercise builds is Nage's ability to recognize the attack and choose the technique correctly. In this particular instance, I keep the options direct and simple, using Sayunage to deal with both attacks. There are minor variations needed to execute each one. You can move the difficulty level up with intermediate and advanced students by choosing entirely different techniques for each attack. You can also choose two entirely different attacks, such as a punch or a kick. As you increase the variety of attacks, you could throw in takedowns and tackles as well. As students get comfortable with quickly recognizing attacks and responding correctly, you can start getting creative with expanding Giowaza practice into any and all attacks. Once my students started getting comfortable with dealing with leg takedowns, I noticed they became quite good at seeing them coming. They are pretty big movements which makes them fairly easy to spot. They were regularly able to use evasive movement and the frame to foil them, so I added a new level of difficulty for them to deal with. I told the students that for today's class, they should try to surprise their partner by attempting a leg takedown at any time they want. They can do it during a technique, as they're getting back up, or whenever they think they can get it. Then I went on teaching class as normal. What happened was that students stayed focused on the techniques that I was showing and appeared to forget about the surprise takedown that I mentioned. Then one of them was surprised when his partner did it. There was a very short moment of surprise, but then the technique kicked in and the takedown was foiled. This showed that the students' bodies were absorbing the training and would respond when they needed to, even if the student got surprised. This is exactly what martial arts training should be doing. Now back to the topic. I mentioned that the first way of branching into Giawaza, which was different attacks. The second way is to have the same attack, but have Nage choose different techniques to deal with it. When it comes to my approach to teaching, I'm not very concerned with my students have a huge repertoire of techniques. They will find certain techniques which click for them, which is a good thing. What I'm looking to build with this approach is a mental flexibility and not allow them to be stuck at feeling like they're a one-trick pony who's only comfortable with one or two techniques. Students usually find techniques early on which they get consistent success with. Other techniques are elusive and they are not comfortable with them. As students become more experienced, they will add techniques which will work consistently and even move away from ones which worked well for them but are replaced by ones which suit them better. This is an active and ongoing process and should be encouraged. It means they are growing as martial artists. As their understanding increases, more techniques will become comfortable and consistently successful. There will always be favorites, of course, and there should be. Giawaza practice like this will start slowly as the students' brains build the comfort with identifying attacks and responding correctly. Just as with paired practice, once it starts becoming comfortable, it's time to increase the challenge level. This means either increasing the speed and intensity or the variety of the attacks. The goal here is not to overwhelm the student, but to get them into the zone where they are challenged to go just beyond their comfort level. Make failure a slight risk. 
If a student is succeeding 100% of the time, they need more challenge. I have found that a rough guideline is around 80-90% to 90 success rate. Above that, and they are comfortable and get lazy. Below that, and they can get overwhelmed and frustrated. It is true that you learn more from failures and mistakes than you do from success, but too many failures and mistakes flood the brain and they become difficult to sort out. This is a factor of human behavior. It is not a character flaw of a particular individual. This must be recognized as something to avoid when you want to approach your training as a full-throttle affair. If your students get frustrated and aren't learning, they won't be students for long. What are your thoughts? Please share your ideas in the comments if you're watching this on YouTube, or go to the Facebook group Aikido the Marshall Side and post a comment. The Spirit Aikido online program now has more than 80 videos in the program, with new ones being added every few days. In the most recent series of videos, I cover ways to introduce Giowaza to your practice group and expand your improvisation skills with Aikido. I also started a series on the use of the cane for self-defense, as well as added a warm-up sequence that I use at the beginning of class, which a subscriber requested. There's a link in the description section. I invite you to check it out. I always enjoy hearing from listeners of the show, whether through comments or questions. Thank you all for sharing your interest. Enjoy your training.